0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, November 17th. We begin with a look at the coronavirus crisis both locally and nationally. We speak with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, about her recent conversation about COVID-19 with both Mayor Nahed Nenshi and Conservative leader Erin O'Toole.
1: Alberta restaurants have recently taken another hit with the new temporary COVID measures put in place by the government. We get reaction to the restrictions from the head of the Alberta Hospitality Association, Ernie Tsu.
0: According to a new survey, Alberta students want more education on climate change. We speak with the Executive Director of the Alberta Council for Environmental Education on the specifics of the report which surveyed over 500 youth in our province.
1: And finally, looking for that perfect, unique gift for someone on your Christmas list? Perhaps this is the year to get creative. We speak with a local art studio owner for some easy, budget-friendly DIY gift ideas. 6.09 now. The COVID-19 pandemic was a focus on Global's The West Block this past weekend with host Mercedes Stevenson talking to Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole and Calgary's Mayor Nahid Nenshi. Mercedes joins us now. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a jam-packed show, as per usual, on the West Block. And, you know, when you talk to our mayor, he specifically talked about, you know, restrictions and how they need to be smart and targeted. What else did he say to you?
2: Yeah, so we're trying to... See if the mayor would, would talk about how he feels about the fact that Alberta brought restrictions in uh, just recently, whether he thought that was going too far or was it too little, too late. Um, and I know you have a unique sort of situation out there in Calgary in that um, in some ways he was explaining to us it's, it's 100% the province that controls certain decisions, not mm-hmm. the municipality. Um, and we've run into that as well a little bit here in Ontario with, you know, for example, John Tory coming out and asking Doug Ford to bring in tighter restrictions. So uh, we're a little bit uh, twins in that sense of how things are working. I thought it was really interesting that while he wouldn't say if he thought it was too little, too late, or not going far enough, uh, he clearly implied uh, that, that he had concerns about these restrictions. And he said that he wanted, as you you mentioned smart restrictions so the example he gave of, of what he didn't seem to think was a smart restriction or what he was hearing from people they didn't understand the purpose of was a restriction for example that kids sports are suspended but casinos are still open <laughs> exactly so, and i can imagine uh, i'm not a parent but there's probably a lot of parents who are not very happy with that situation uh so he was saying that the government needs to come up with some some clear explanations of what's closed what's open and why, um, and, and to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm guessing he, you know, is not particularly 100% on board with all of these, not in the sense that he wants less, in the sense he may want more, or he at least wants that, you know, kids' sports are going to be suspended, that then casinos, where there are large numbers of people gathering as well, uh, are also suspended. And uh, that's, that's part of what we talked about on the show. Mm-hmm.
0: Hyperlocal look for Calgarians. There, you also took a national look at the coronavirus crisis. Speaking with Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole, what did O'Toole have to say about uh, you know moving into the second wave and uh, what uh, we're seeing as Canadians? Well, we
2: asked. Have- Mr. O'Toole sort of a bunch of different ways, whether he thinks that the provinces should should go into more restrictions, and uh, he kept saying the same thing Justin Trudeau does, which is that that is a provincial decision, um, which is true. It is in fact a provincial decision. We always ask the federal leaders because at the beginning of all of this, they were out there really leading a, in, a, in a public sense. Anyhow, not in like that they're making a decision sense, but in a say we need to go into a lockdown sense. Um, they're in a much more awkward position now because if you're a national leader. Um, You know, what's happening in Nova Scotia or or PEI is not what's happening in Ontario or Alberta. So there isn't a clear national solution of putting the entire country into a lockdown um, doesn't achieve what it did earlier on. And even then, it was still really up to the provinces. The federal government never invoked the Emergencies Act, which is what they would have had to do to invoke a lockdown. And that's because the provinces didn't want that. It infringes on provincial powers in a very big way. So uh, the situation really has to be kind of seen as extraordinary for the premiers to agree to that. Um, so when we were talking to Aaron O'Toole, he was saying, you know, obviously he has concerns about the virus. He had the virus. I asked him about that as well, what that was like. He said he was quite fortunate. He had very mild symptoms. His wife's were a little bit more severe, but he said her symptoms didn't even rise to the level um, of where they typically would have gone to a doctor. Uh, so his family was fairly fortunate, but they are very aware, obviously, that COVID-19 is, is the big issue on Canadians' minds. How to get it under control
1: uh, and how to get that balance between the economy and people's health. And he certainly did not hesitate taking shots at the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. I couldn't even count how many he he took. (laughs) It was kind of amusing to listen to. I lost track. But you also talked to him about China, uh, Mercedes, and the situation with the uh, new leadership in the United States, what that might mean for us here in Canada, and when it comes to the two Michaels as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. So the Conservatives have an Opposition Day motion for Opposition Day, uh, which basically says that they want the government to do two things in 30 days. Number one is to ban Huawei. Number two is to come up with a strategy in order to uh, protect uh, Canadians of Chinese descent uh, who are in Canada who are being harassed by agents of the Chinese state that operate here. We've done a number of reports on this at Global uh, of the Chinese state trying to influence both government institutions, but also trying to intimidate Chinese Canadians. Uh, who take part in democracy protests, or who basically don't toe the line. Those are both really interesting ideas. The big questions are, how do you do either of those things within 30 days? And as you said, what happens to the two Michaels? Uh, because, you know, Mr. O'Toole is a big fan of being a much harder line on China. I've talked to people inside the Department of Foreign Affairs and other places to say uh, they don't necessarily disagree with that approach, but they do have some concerns over the fact that there are two Canadians in jail there. And what does it mean for them? He basically says you have to take a harder line uh, no matter what, because if you don't, they're going to continue uh, to, to behave this way. But he did acknowledge Canada can't do it by itself, because we will face economic consequences. Uh, we will face uh, a potential of more citizens uh, essentially being taken hostage and doing that creates a risk. So he's proposing that all Five Eyes countries like Australia, Britain, the US, the UK, New uh, Zealand would all have to kind of band together with this at once, uh, which is great. But the chances of that happening within 30 days, are probably mm-hmm. pretty low, at least in terms of coordinated policy. Australia has probably taken the hardest stance of any country. They've suffered some very significant cyber attacks as a result of that. But their government and their prime minister believes that the tougher stance is worth it, and they are sticking it out.
0: I want to uh, you know, uh, switch gears a bit and go back in time, which was just a huge story, an unfortunate story. I was reading on your Twitter about the, of course, uh, horrific shooting spree in Nova Scotia, back in April. Uh, Something that you would mentioned, and this this has really moved to the back burner, no update. I was shocked to read this. There's been no update in over five months from the uh, Nova Scotia RCMP. Uh, What are you hearing and why aren't we seeing transparency, accountability, and and more information on this?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, there is no good explanation for it. The RCMP promised this. They promised it publicly. They would have Regular updates because they were being so heavily criticized that by June, which, you know, which is the last time we had an update of the victim's families and others saying, what happened? We need to know how that night unfolded as they pledged there would be regular updates. Well, we have not had an update, uh, as you said, for over five months since hmm. the summer. Um, and this is not an investigation where they are looking, you know, they're, they're in the midst of trying the suspect. The suspect is dead. Um, And so there's a lot of anger from the families in Nova Scotia, from the communities in Nova Scotia. And just from Canadians, who are saying, I want answers. I want to know what happened. Uh, This is the national police force. And I can tell you it's something I'm looking into pretty heavily, guys. And uh, there there will be some stories coming out soon. Also, check out... our anchor out uh, east newscast, Sarah Rich. Pardon me, Sarah Ritchie. Uh, she has done a podcast called Thirty Six Hours, and it's about the timeline she's managed to construct. Uh, and I worked with her a bit on this, putting it together so that you can see what actually happened when she's talked to victims' families, she's talked to people who lived in the area. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have the police force behind this simply refusing to answer
1: questions. Well, if anybody can get to the bottom of this, Mercedes, it's you. So we'll be following you on this one. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this Thanks morning. Guys. appreciate it. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. And just a reminder, the West Block reairs every uh, Sunday on seven seventy CHQR at eleven am. if you missed it on Global. now and Alberta restaurants are suffering through new COVID measures recently imposed. What's the potential outcome for the hospitality industry, especially with tougher restrictions on the horizon? Ernie Sue is the owner of Trolley 5 Brewery and a board member of Alberta's Hospitality Association. And he joins us now. Hi, Ernie.
3: Good morning. How hey, are you guys?
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. This an important conversation. I mean, you know, it's a tough go for everybody, but boy, restaurants, pubs have been hit so hard. First off, your thoughts on the current new restrictions that have been imposed, the liquor sale cut off at 10 and, and doors closed at 11.
3: Yeah, the, I mean, the new restriction obviously is not, um, I mean, any restriction is not good for the restaurants right now. Uh, you know, these restaurants have have put in a lot of money to keep um, the public safe Uh, plexiglass sanitizer masks i know we're all tired of it but uh, but you know you know we even had our chief medical officer and premier kenny state that it's safer to go to a restaurant than to have um these unrestricted gatherings on the Mm. outside of restaurants that are that are causing a huge spike in the cases
0: Ernie, so you're saying not too much of an impact with this latest restriction. No restriction is ideal, uh, but I'm wondering. Just as many people, um, you know, neighbors and friends and coworkers are talking about the potential for more restrictions with the numbers having increased so much. What sorts of conversations are you having with fellow restaurateurs at this point, as far as the potential for for even more?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's a scary time for restaurateurs. You know, um, another lockdown. We're going to see more closures of restaurants for sure, and. You know, I, you know, that's, this is where I implore the public to be vigilant and trying to, you know, help flatten the curve right now. These restaurants are still paying, you know, full taxes back into the city while keeping our staff employed, um, you know, obviously giving them a paycheck to come home to to avoid, you know, mental health issues.
1: How frustrating has it been to have people show up at these restaurants and just refuse to accept the, the masking policy or the stay seated if you're not wearing a mask kind of idea?
3: For those people, I would say stay home. If they if they want normalcy, if they want to be able to still keep going out, uh, they have to realize that this is these are government measures that are being imposed. Um, you know, the restaurateurs are already going through enough stress as it is to have to deal with, um, quite frankly, a bunch of bean bags that refuse to wear masks when coming in. <laughs>
0: bean bag I love I never it. Heard that. I like that I'm gonna write that <laughs> That's down good. we can use that on the program. Uh, I want to talk you know on the one side you've got the customers and you mentioned the restaurant but the the frontline staff and the change that they've had to go through just to make a living if you can talk about what it means to be a waiter waitress or a, a dishwasher in 2020.
3: well it's 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 hard and we you know something also to take into account. I would say that we are definitely the number one industry in the province re-employing Albertans coming out of COVID. And these are minimum wage jobs that, um, you know, we have got full-time bartenders, waiters, servers, hostesses, busboys that are that are just trying to get by right now. Uh, with the new restrictions obviously means diminished hours. And, um, you know, these are just hard-working kids that are just trying to get through, you know, through this crazy time.
1: So many people have lost their jobs, Ernie. I mean, so many restaurants have have closed down. Uh, and you know, what do you say about a potential lockdown that could be coming because people are not following the rules? What could that mean for the industry?
3: Well, oh, it'll be devastating for the industry. Um, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, our industry has been resilient and and supportive of of you know any decision made by the government. You know, we've supported them and and we'll continue to do so. Our number one objective is to keep public safe, as we have done, you know, investing in all the PPE measures in restaurants. Uh, But, you know, keeping the public safe is still our number one priority.
0: And when it comes to restaurants and the restaurant industry, even before March, you know, it wasn't exactly uh, the streets paved with gold in the city of Calgary the razor-thin profit margins that we've heard. Um, going in, it was less than ideal, wasn't it, Ernie?
3: Oh, terrible. Like, it's less than ideal for everyone. You know, Calgary is, has the highest unemployment rate out of any major city in the country. And, you know, for restaurant tours that are, you know, still giving back to local charities, um, again, while still having to pay full rent and taxes, it's going to be a very tough time, especially with diminished capacities as well.
1: What's your hope moving forward in terms of any further restrictions, lockdowns, or relieving some of the restrictions that are in place for, for your industry?
3: Our hope is that the public out there wants wants normalcy to continue and that um, everyone will be far more vigilant and following protocols that have been laid out to the government, by the government, to flatten the curve.
0: And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, people were, I think it was Wednesday, that they said, okay, Wednesday is going to be the day where everybody should do takeout. A takeout day and uh, support the restaurants, uh, but with the protocols in place, and as you uh, you know underscored, even the premier talking about the safety that is presented at restaurants. Well, do you think that's something that uh, you know, the public should consider as a, a once a week, once every couple of week uh, weeks, if they can afford it, to to dine out? Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, if it's national takeout day, I mean, it doesn't get any safer than that. Um, you know, restaurants as well as the delivery services are you know follow and go far over above the. The safety protocols um, to make sure that when food is dropped off at a house or when it's picked up curbside, that everything has been sanitized and taken care of. Uh, you know, it's just small things like that that'll help keep uh, our industry open.
1: Ernie, what's happening happening inside the restaurants when someone does come in and they are refusing to wear a mask? How how difficult is it for for the owners or, or the you know like these minimum wage servers, as you say, to get these people out or or make them you know, try to insist to get them to follow the rules.
3: Yeah, I mean it's a tough time for everyone, right? Um, but you know, for the restaurants out there, and, and we're one of them. We just we we solve it at the door before it even happens. If if guests, if we can identify that guests are just refusing to follow the protocols before they even come in, then we're just going to have to turn them away. It's about keeping the whole public safe. It's about keeping businesses open, and quite frankly. You know, for those people that are refusing to do it, their normalcy is going to come to an end here should a lockdown come around the corner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think it's uh, oh. nobody wants that. Thanks for your time this morning, Ernie.
3: Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a great morning.
0: You too. That is Ernie Sue, owner of Trolley 5 Brewery and board member of the Alberta Hospitality Association. 812 on the morning news. A new Leger marketing survey highlights the thoughts of students in Alberta when it comes to climate change specifically their thirst for knowledge surrounding the topic Gareth Thompson executive director for the Alberta Council for Environmental Education joins us now with more on the survey results Good morning to you Gareth
4: good morning Andy. how are you
0: good let 's talk about the parameters to begin with how many students and what were the age of the students that were surveyed
4: well you know we're on sitting on top of some evidence uh, the likes of which we haven 't seen before it's it's really high quality it's from polling we uh, we talked to, uh, we had leger talked to five hundred Alberta youth between the ages of uh, 15 and 24 uh, earlier this year. We also did focus groups of 172 students in in nine locations across Alberta.
1: We know young people, I think a lot more than the older generation, very interested and concerned about climate change. So they want to have this built into their curriculum by the looks of things, by an overwhelming number.
4: You know, the numbers are very powerful. And uh, I mean, I just love that this is coming from the students themselves. Uh, And so, in a way, I'm just here to bring their voice into the room. Um, Students are uh, really concerned. Uh, 90% of them have a moderate to extreme level of concern when considering the environment. Uh, 7 out of 10 are worried about their future as a result of climate change. Two-thirds of them agree that educating students about climate change should be a high priority. And indeed, uh, more than that, 71% of teachers uh, feel that educating students about climate change should be a high priority in schools. The numbers...
0: Caledon. Gareth, I'm wondering if, if, if you know or if you can uh, give us some insight as to how much uh, climate change and, and climate in general is taught in the Alberta uh, system to begin with at this point. Is, is, is it underserved and, and how much more of an expansion would be required to, again, quench the thirst of these students?
4: That's a great question. I I, I am a teacher. Uh, I have taught uh, high school. And um, it's underrepresented. It's an an underwhelming amount. And I want to just point out something here that you can, you know, there's references in grade 10, for example, there's references to uh, climate change. Um, Here's the thing, though. Um, One of the things that uh, we in our work. Um, we've identified the fact that the thing that helps students the most is spending a little bit of time on talking about the problem of climate change and spending a whole lot of time on the solution space, uh, you know, that has to do with how we combat climate change, um, how we deal with mitigation of climate change effects. And that solution space is very exciting. It's very positive. It's, 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 uh, you know what it is? It's full of uh, opportunities for kids in the future as, uh, as the energy transition takes place beneath our feet in this province. Um, and there's uh, engineers and entrepreneurs and oil and gas companies doing exciting and innovating work to scale up clean energy and other solutions that slow climate change. And, and that's the piece. The energy education is... Uh, Uh, We think that's a real positive place where teachers and students could and should go to teach about um, and learn about uh, the existing sources of energy and the pros and cons of those. And there's many pros, of course. I mean, that's how we got our prosperity, Mm -hmm. for goodness sakes. But also um, talking about the new things that are coming along that teachers uh, would love to teach about. We just need some professional development for the teachers to press those tools into their hands, so they can pivot and help kids be uh, learn about exciting uh, innovations, um, do something about climate, and uh, because they're doing something, feel positive about, about the future. Right now, unfortunately, um, we have high uh, high levels of eco anxiety among our youth, high levels of fatalism. They, uh, you know, the. They say, uh, I don't know what to do. That's that one of the big barriers is, I simply don't know what to do, they say, when it comes to protecting the environment.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, knowledge is power, right? And there's misinformation coming from both sides. So, yes, to, to feed them the information they need to make intelligent decisions and uh, understand the, the issue a, as a whole. And, and it looks like we in Alberta, we have a bit of a fear of, of that, it seems. And is that yeah. why Alberta students are maybe lagging a little behind the, the rest of the country when it comes to climate literacy?
4: Uh, So I think you put your finger on it. I think that is correct. And my question for, you know, any education leader, be they uh, Alberta government or or representing the Alberta government or be they uh, running a school board uh, this morning, my question to them is, do you want students to get their information through social media, through what they hear on the street, Mm -hmm. through what their students, through what their their colleagues, uh, you know, their peers in school tell them? Or would you rather have them, have it come through the alberta curriculum through the textbook and so we uh we believe that there's a place for high quality climate education in uh, in in alberta schools and we believe we've we can show the way forward to help frame the, pro- the problem with, the, with positive solutions as i've said and uh and help kids get a piece of this i think they deserve that and i think uh and i think and i know that they're asking for that
0: Garrett, thanks so much for your time this morning
4: uh, great talk thank you very much
0: that is Gareth Thompson, Alberta Council for Environmental Education. He's the executive director. 909 on the morning news. You don't have to spend the big bucks to give a meaningful gift this Christmas. Kiki Lally with Pinnovate Studios here in Calgary joins us now with some DIY gift ideas for the holiday season. Good morning to you, Kiki.
5: Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good.
0: Thank you for taking the time with us. And I think that what thirty-eight days until Christmas Day. Oh my uh, so goodness! It's getting wow. closer. So you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I I hear about this this kind of direction, a DIY, um, you know, idea to save bucks, and we have more spare time right now. But I think it's not for me because nobody would want a gift that I could make <laughs> if I can if I can they make would, it. Oh, you are capable of
5: so much, Andrew. You're <laughs> selling yourself short. So, but <laughs> you're going to make it easy for us. Absolutely. So um, at Penavate, we're doing DIY delivery boxes. We're doing kits. And like you had mentioned, so, everybody has so much time this year. That's the one thing we almost gained from COVID. Previous years, people didn't have time to make handmade gifts. And right now you have time to learn a new skill. You have time to create something handmade for someone to let them know you're thinking about them and really take up those hobbies that maybe were in the back of your head previous years.
1: Kiki, as Andy said, many of us, were not, you know, artsy-fartsy. So are there things that we can do, though, that will still look great and, and are a fun gift to give to the people we love? Oh, my gosh, Sue, absolutely. So macrame is back you know macrame back in the day
5: um the kits that we have and even without them it's a really good starting block so all the cord comes pre-cut you have a youtube tutorial that you follow step by step all of our projects really you're talking ages 10 plus something like a needle felt kit it takes minimal fine motor skills children can do it adults can do it but you're learning how to make a flat lay piece you're learning how to make an ornament and you can create multiple things and customize something after you've learned the basic skill. So everything's not going to be embroidery and knitting, but if you are in that direction, you can absolutely take those up. Those take more time. But there's also a lot of options for people who don't have a lot of time, really, or don't are not as invested in learning something.
0: But, Kiki, when you talk about time, I would think that, yes you know, about five weeks uh, and change away from Christmas. Now, if you want to do, do the DIY, a DIY route, now would be the time to get a kit and get things started because it does take some more time. Absolutely.
5: But there's some kits that really are, are quite uh, economical and quick to do. Like we have glitter-dipped wine glasses. They come as a set of wine glasses. You get to put a kitschy, funny saying on them. You get to um, decorate them and dip them in glitter, and it's a beautiful gift to give away or just to use in your own home. Um, Everyone's not going to be doing these lavish parties this year. We're really keeping ourselves a bit tighter. But even creating something as a decor piece for your own house or or making something even just for yourselves, it's, it's very doable.
1: So how does Pinnovate Studio work then? Do we go in? Do we order online? How does it all go?
5: Well, it used to be just only coming in. And then obviously during the March shutdown, we pivoted quite quickly. And now we have a full online business, um, to-go kits we ship across Canada. We also have, you still can book in studio time. It is all by reservation. And then you can come in and create something in the studio if you want that little bit of extra connection. We're a licensed restaurant bar so you eat and drink and and make. Um, And then we also have for more elaborate DIY projects like to, I think tomorrow night or the night after we're doing outdoor Grinch tree planters, these huge planters that Esme's coming out to do with us, those would be uh, more of a workshop-style event.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about Pinnovate for a second and, and how it came to be and how you moved in this direction. What did you do before you you know had to Pinovate, um as your responsibility?
5: I was actually a flight attendant for WestJet. I was a retired flight attendant and um, enjoyed you know, coming together with my, my girlfriends and having a great night out, but wanted something, wanted to do something that was practical. So as much as I enjoyed those paint nights, I wasn't a good painter, didn't mm-hmm. want to make the same painting as everybody else, ended up throwing them out all the time. So I wanted to make something that was Pinterest inspired and a little more practical to what I would put up in my home.
1: For people who don't know, and you hear the term Pinterest all the time, but if you're not online looking at P what does Pinterest really mean? What is it all about? <laughs> Pinterest is a humongous social platform Um, they have everything from self-help
5: tutorials to crafting tutorials it's a one-stop shop for people wanting to do things with their own hands a lot of it it encompasses that Um, so if you go to these artisan markets that we have all well had all over the city previous to this year uh, a lot of those projects and a lot of those handmade goods you can find tutorials and tools and tips and tricks on how to make all those things cool
0: Let's talk a bit yeah. about, because, uh, you know, obviously you enjoy what you do. You enjoy the world of DIY and crafting. Yeah. How yeah, has absolutely. social media changed that? It, because I would think it's almost like when all the cooking shows, you know, it came to popularity, everybody became a foodie and wanted to, you know, up their game. Are you finding the same thing when it comes to what you do?
5: Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. I think, um, you know, uh, when you see tutorials coming on social media or you visit a studio like ours, you realize that these, crafts and these home-based projects and these decor pieces that you think are unachievable, if they are broken down step by step by step, they are very doable. And I think that giving people that feeling of accomplishment and, you know, that typical quote-unquote that I made it uh, a feel really, really is so encouraging. And it's, it has social media and even the HGTV shows that have come out. There's a show on NBC called Make It. Um, that's hosted by Amy Poehler. All this exposure has really shifted that time that people really want to sit together and connect. It's it's been very digital for the last decade, and you're seeing people sort of go back to the basics right now.
1: And I love that, you know, that you can just sit down and do a project with your kids and, and make something. We, You're Absolutely. right. We gained the gift of time with this COVID-19 pandemic. I, so. I
5: truly, truly believe that. And yeah. I think the, that's one of the few things that I look at. And I think that's a really beautiful thing because we are just stripping it down to basics again. I mean, I was thinking about you guys this morning and the fact that when I drive my kids to school now, we listen to the radio. We've never listened to the radio, but it's something that we've, incorporated in our day to day because it seems
1: like electronics we're kind of putting them on the back burner right now. Good. Well just keep that radio locked on seven seventy, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. So it's Pinovate at is at Pinnovate Y Y C, right? Uh, No, we're Pinnovate on Instagram. Uh, Our our website is uh, pinnovate.ca. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Kiki. I'm going online because I think uh, macrame is at the top of... uh, It really is at the top of my daughter's (laughs) Christmas list. Seriously? a macrame plant holder. Oh, my different kits. Oh, yeah, we have those, too. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sue. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. That's Kiki Lally, who is with Pinnovate DIY Studio.
0: Uh, You know what we did uh, a couple of years ago? My kids, uh, they see some of these, you know, those kind of knick-knack shops in the mall? Yes.
1: They're still
0: called knick-knacks. Or I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> um, and they had these these funky, old-looking signs. So my kids wanted to do that. So I got a piece of plywood, and I cut it into, uh, you know, about, you know, foot-wide, six-inch, uh, you know, uh, high signs, bought some old paint and some rope, and they made these signs that, like, you know, that live, love, laugh. Yeah, yeah, Be yeah. kind. And they, they, they really took it over. I had to do a lot of the work. So, I mean, I was like the uh, the factory, if you will, but they put their own designs on it. <laughs> That's and it meant, fun. It meant more to them. I think, than just picking something out.
1: And the fact that we can do it with them. Do you remember, did you, when you were in school, did you make macrame? Did you make, do you remember the God's Eye? That's what they called it. It was a macrame God's Eye.
0: I do remember. You made it
1: with two popsicle sticks that were in a cross shape and then you just wound around it. That was the big macrame back then, but it's made such a big resurgence. So what a fun project to do together.
0: I didn't know there was a name for that whole mess. (laughs) And it often was
1: a mess too, but might be something you look at, but Pinnovate YYC, I love it. It's a great idea.